Hi everyone, R. Don Hutchinson here. If you've enjoyed the future history of Newburgh so far, you might be interested in some of my other work as well. I've just released a book called Obluvium Sanctuary, book one of the Obluvium series. This novel is about twins with unique abilities who must hide from evil men until a portal to their home reality opens. But, is the quaint farm they've found really the safe haven that it seems? Obluvium Sanctuary is available in paperback or Kindle at the links provided in the show notes. Right now, I'm offering the Kindle version for free for a limited time. Happy reading! Now back to Newburgh. Hello and welcome to Episode 8 of The Future History of Newburgh, a series of short stories about a peculiar town on a peculiar planet where science and magic mingle in an effort to save the worlds. In Episode 7, we watched with Jim and Jeff as Dr. Jimenez preached about plant sentience, and we saw a portal open between two worlds. In this episode, we'll see where Eric's first step into the void takes him. I hope you're doing great wherever you are, and you're ready to listen to Episode 8, A Route Between Worlds, Part 2. stepped through into darkness. Rippling light from the portal poorly illuminated large, indefinable shapes. He had the sense that he was indoors, and there were other people around. He could hear shuffling, perhaps furniture moving. Jeff bumped into him with a grumble. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's you, Eric, right? Yeah, yeah. Eric, would you mind taking one more step forward? It's just that Akua will be- Oof! Sorry, sorry. Why is it dark? asked Akua, as the portal behind them shrank toward its center and quickly vanished. I guess it's taking Jim a while to find the lights, Jeff said. Shortly afterward, a faint electric hum was heard, and fluorescent lights flickered to life on the ceiling. Jim stood by the light switch and shrugged apologetically. Eric looked around, flummoxed. Faded paper covered the walls of a room lined with vinyl-covered chairs with worn armrests. Ten-year-old magazines were piled haphazardly in a corner basket. An aquarium with too many fish in it bubbled away on the opposite wall. The Muzak version of Girl from Ipanema drifted through the room. This is Dr. Gaber's place. The portal led me to my dentist's office? Yes! Well, no, not your actual dentist's office. This is an interactive hologram of your dentist's office. Why? Eric asked in wonder as he examined the fish tank for holographic lasers. It's meant to be a place where you'd feel comfortable waiting. Our research showed you're at the dentist's office. So we thought it would be the perfect place, Jeff said, beaming next to Silent Jim and the light switch. 
Akua picked up a dog-eared Time magazine and began reading in a corner chair, humming softly along with the music. I had a ton of expensive and painful root canals, and I have two kids. I'm at the dentist a lot, but trust me, it's not because I enjoy it, Eric said, taking off his winter coat and draping it over his arm. Jeff appeared disconcerted. I am sorry. Dentistry is rather a pleasant experience here. I have my teeth whitened once a month just to relax, Jeff said, smiling again. His teeth were awfully white. Jim nodded to the grinning man, and Jeff said, It seems they're ready for you back there. He opened the waiting room door and gestured to Eric to go through. Oh, you won't need your coat. You can leave it here. Eric draped his heavy coat over the arm of a nearby chair. He peeked his head around first before stepping slowly into a brightly lit corridor that looked exactly like the one at his dentist's office. Immediately, he was assaulted by a bitter-smelling mist that sprayed all over his clothes, face, and hair as a woman's voice loudly spoke gibberish from above. The mist stopped as abruptly as it had begun. Eric gasped in shock and shook the liquid from his hands. <gasps> what is this? What did she say? He squinted and blinked away droplets from his eyes. She said, Please test spray in an inconspicuous area before applying to clothing. But don't worry, it doesn't stain, and it dries almost instantly. It's an immunization spray. We can't inoculate the entire town of Newburgh, but the spray should keep them safe from you until we can run your information through our database of known diseases and viruses. It's just through here now. Jeff and Jim directed Eric to an empty exam room. He was astounded that by the time they reached the door, his clothes had completely dried. The exam room, of course, looked like any of Dr. Gaber's exam rooms, complete with a sleek dentist chair and a pallid man in a white lab coat. Eric's teeth started to ache at the sight. The man smiled at Eric and said, I'm sorry, say again, Eric said. He said, please have a seat, Jeff said. Eric squeaked his way into the oddly shaped chair and asked, What's this all about? You can understand me because I'm actually speaking English. Coming from different realities, almost everyone in Newburgh speaks a unique language. There are two ways of overcoming our language barriers. The first is to implant a small automatic translator device into your brain, which is powered by your heartbeat and sends translations directly to the language center of the brain. Implant? Eric gripped the arms of the dentist chair. You want to perform surgery on me? I suggest the second option, which is to use a sage spell. It's less physically invasive, Jeff said. Jim nodded. Eric bit his lip in thought. He'd been through a sage portal and had come through it safely. He'd prefer more of the same considering the other option involved an implant. Okay, he said. I'll take the spell. The man in the lab coat gave Eric a thumbs up and said, Jeff said, Dr. Brisbane wants to know what your favorite song is. All my exes live in Texas, Eric said matter-of-factly. Jeff and Dr. Brisbane gave him a quizzical look. George Strait, he explained further. Dr. Brisbane frowned and shuffled through a box of records at his feet. 
I don't think that will work for our purposes. Dr. Brisbane is selecting another song for you, one without lyrics. Dr. Brisbane made his selection, and ever so carefully, as if he were handling delicate, antique china, he removed the record from its sleeve and placed it onto an ancient-looking record player. Eric couldn't tell if he was imagining it, but the record seemed to glow with a faint green aura. Dr. Brisbane placed padded headphones over Eric's ears and motioned for him to lie back. Then he dimmed the overhead lights. The recording crackled in his ears for a moment before it began to play the most beautiful music, and he closed his eyes in appreciation. He had heard the piece before, long ago, but he couldn't remember where. The bittersweet melody touched Eric with nostalgia and joy. He felt both elated and despondent simultaneously as the music flowed from cadence to cadence. Overcome with powerful and complex emotion, he hugged the arm of the dentist's chair, and when the song finally ended, he blinked his eyes open. My little Gabby used to love that song. Intermezzo from Cavalleria Rusticana, he said quietly as he wiped his teary eyes onto the armrest. By Muscogny, Dr. Brisbane said triumphantly. Eric assumed he was hearing more gibberish, but then recalled Muscogny was the composer's name. That's right, he said. May I have my arm back, please? Dr. Brisbane asked. Eric looked down to see that he hadn't been hugging the armrest during the song, but Dr. Brisbane's arm instead. He recoiled in embarrassment. Oh, it's quite all right. Dr. Brisbane said, returning the record gently to its sleeve. Emotions are trigger points for memory. The record is infused with a communication spell, and the music stimulates powerful emotions so the brain can absorb the spell quickly. It's also pumping out binaural beats to induce beta brainwaves. So, it's an understandably intense experience. After all, you're essentially learning a new way to communicate. Dr. Brisbane stood and turned the lights up, signaling the end of the session. Eric squeakily removed himself from the chair. There are different ways to evoke the proper emotional response, Dr. Brisbane continued. Certain movies, viewing paintings, dance, even food. Jeff opened the exam room door and before exiting said, We learned that you loved your grandmother's mole sauce, so we tried to make it, but... Um, Jim said it wasn't right. Too much garlic. Jim finally spoke. Hey, don't be too hard on yourself, Eric said, grasping Jeff's shoulder. No one can cook like my abuela did. Eric followed Jeff and Jim down the office corridor as Dr. Brisbane called out from behind them. It's always a pleasure meeting a new recruit to Newburgh. Good luck out there. Eric waved back, hoping he wouldn't need the luck, but becoming less sure with each step he took. Jim opened a door at the end of the hallway, and Eric stepped through to a mild breeze and blinding sunlight. The door opened onto the sidewalk of a busy street, bustling with pedestrians. Brown brick buildings lined the road, and Eric felt he could be anywhere in America, save for the carriages in place of cars. 
and one man in luxurious red robe smugly riding what looks like a floating Segway. This is Mercury Street, the heart of Midtown. You'll find a lot of civic buildings here. Up ahead is Unity Street, which runs the length of Newburgh proper, Jeff explained with a flourish of his arm. A shadow passed overhead, followed by a great whooshing sound. Eric turned his face skyward to see a black and green steam train straight out of the 1800s glide swiftly over the rooftops. The sky train, he said, just like I remember. Though he hadn't remembered it, it was merely data downloaded through his optic nerve from the Newburgh pamphlet. As confusing as that reality was, Eric still stared after the train in awe. We're headed to the station now to catch a ride. Jeff said pleasantly. He then tapped and rotated a brown ring on his finger, and a screen projected from it. Nice. I can't wait till my phone can do that, Eric said. Jeff smiled and selected a series of options on his screen. The screen then drew together to form a grapefruit-sized sphere floating above his hand. This is Newburgh, he said proudly. There were dark, unrendered areas, but looking closer at the globe, Eric could see most of it was comprised of a big landmass with a bite taken out of it from the sea. Digital snow was falling over what was labeled as the polar tundra near the top of the globe, and a train coasted on an invisible track above a number of buildings. Small world, Eric said. So we're in a different galaxy now? We're definitely not in the Milky Way anymore, Jeff said with a laugh. We're taking the Sky Train here, he said, pointing to an area on the northwest part of the tiny continent. The three men walked along Mercury Street, and people smiled or waved as they passed. Eric saw two teenaged girls walking side by side and video chatting <laughs> with each other on the projected screens of their com rings. He chuckled. <laughs> I guess no matter how far technology advances, teenagers are still the same, huh? Hmm? Said Jeff, poking the air at his own calm ring screen. Oh, sorry. I haven't checked my messages in a while. Jim, walking behind them, shook his head in reproach. A gray and white tabby trotted up next to Eric and kept pace with him for a while. Hey, kitty cat, Eric greeted as he walked along. Hey, yourself the cat replied, before growing larger and transforming into an exact duplicate of Jim. Eric halted and leaned against a lamppost in shock. What's the matter? Is this not a good look for you? said the identical Jim in a voice that did not belong in Jim's body. His features and clothes changed again, and Eric was faced with another version of himself. Eric let go of the lamppost and came nearer to his copy, who was standing in Jim's long shadow. I know I'm taller than that, Eric said with narrowed eyes. His copy reached out a hand and said, I'm Tom. As Eric shook his own hand, Tom changed again into a wiry man with curly blonde hair. Hope I see you around sometime. Hey Jim, hit me up. We're going water skiing next weekend. Later. Jim acknowledged Tom's invitation with an upward jut of his chin. As Eric watched the transfigured man walk away, Jeff straightened his sunglasses and said, We're not sure if that's Tom's original form or not, 
but we haven't seen anyone else that looks like that around here. There aren't any other gray and white cats around either, though. Makes you wonder. Jeff and Jim walked with Eric a few more blocks before they reached a wide set of concrete steps with a sign above them that read, Midtown Station. At the top of the steps was a covered platform where they waited briefly for the SkyTrain. When it arrived with its wheels turning slowly in the air, Jeff pointed to the billowing steam from the train's smokestack. It's not actually steam. It's vapor from the liquid nitrogen that cools the superconductors. Eric raised his eyebrows in appreciation. A few people got off with briefcases and hurried down the stairs. Eric was not prepared for the being that oozed off along with them. Wow, he said, gawking at the pastel pink creature fidgeting with a calm ring on one of several tentacles. That wasn't in the brochure, Eric whispered loudly to Jeff. Jeff sighed. <sighs> yeah, Zans. A pamphlet just wouldn't do them justice. You have to experience them. Hey, Jim, the Zan said nonchalantly while slithering past. Jim grinned. The train resembled a subway on the inside with hand grips and poles for steadying against. Eric and the two men took their seats on a bench that ran the length of the car. The train was propelled into motion and Eric got a bird's-eye view of Newburgh through the car's large rectangular windows. It was like flying. His daughter Liza would have loved it. Afternoon sun reflected off white rooftops of the midtown buildings. Eric squinted against the light. I wish I had brought my sunglasses too. You guys are always prepared. Jeff chuckled. Watchers, like Jim and I, have the ability to see other people's magic. It shows up as colorful light around specific areas of a person's body. Our eyes have become a bit light sensitive over time. Yours is a rather bright yellow around your head, he said, adjusting his glasses again. Jim nodded. I, I have magic, Eric said, patting his head. Everyone does. The scientists of Newburgh will hotly contest this idea, saying their so-called talent is the result of years of study and hard work. But see, they have an intrinsic ability to mentally categorize data and form theories that's, quite frankly, magical. There are some abilities that are rarer than others. People like Akua, who can open portals, are extremely scarce. There are only two that we know of. So if you know anybody making a big shiny ring out of thin air, <laughs> let us know. Jeff giggled awkwardly. Technically, if you're in the right place at the right time, Anyone can open a portal, but to open one anywhere that leads to a place you want to go, that takes extra talent. Eric frowned thoughtfully as a flock of pigeons flew next to the window, their mottled gray and burgundy feathers catching the sunlight at different angles. You think it's all magic, though? Eric asked as the pigeons broke away and flew over shingled roofs and leaning turrets of what the globe had labeled as Old Town. Most of the scientists here still believe that the more mystical sage abilities all work within natural laws. 
They just haven't scientifically explained how yet. They could be right. I don't see why it can't be both. What's wrong with something being scientifically magical? Jim shook his head in agreement. The train slowed abruptly, and Jeff said, Here's our stop. We're going to have a look at the forest first, he grinned, showing all his whitened teeth and straightened his hat before stepping off the train. After another short walk and a hover truck ride, which Eric thought was like being on a small sky train, the watchers took Eric to a field at the edge of the forest. It seemed peaceful, but something was definitely off. It was late summer, and none of the grasses were seeding yet. Eric had wanted to take a closer look, but Jeff had warned against venturing any further at that point since the forest had already sent two people to the hospital and stolen eleven chickens. It would be best to come back with the proper equipment after he had studied the situation thoroughly. Their next stop off the Sky Train was to Lower Newburgh, specifically the Complex Lab Complex. This was a development of sleek, modern buildings nestled in the desert. Approaching the glass door to the largest building in the complex, Eric asked, I don't understand how you can have such distinct bioregions so close to each other. We just came from a temperate, coniferous forest a ten-minute ride away, and now we're in a desert. How is that possible? Jeff reached to open the door. If we could explain that, it would be scientifically magical indeed. Newburgh is a unique place. Upon entering, the entire building shook, rattling the glass in the windows and sending the light fixtures swinging from the ceiling of the atrium. After the shaking settled, a muffled chorus of cheers rang out from somewhere below them. Ah, they must have discovered a new particle, Jeff said. This way. They took an elevator down six floors, then got in another elevator and took it up two floors. Eric followed the watchers through a labyrinth of white-walled hallways, passing closed doors behind which Eric could hear a cacophony of strange noises. Green flames burst out of one door, but Jim and Jeff walked on casually. A tall, steel-haired woman emerged from a lab, locking the door behind her before she noticed the watchers and their companion. She tisked and made a disgusted face. You're new, aren't you? Great. I'm going to tell you this once. Don't ever step foot in my lab. All I need is some noob wandering around and messing everything up. Eric stared after her in surprise as she rolled her eyes and began to pass them. Hi, Jim, she said as she stomped away. Don't mind Dr. Weber. She's, um, she's just, well, um, very focused, Jeff said, forcing a smile. After a few more twists and turns, they arrived at a door at the end of a hallway. Your lab is here. Jeff said. My lab? Eric asked. Jeff opened the door, and Eric's jaw dropped in amazement. The room was cavernous. A large work table with microscopes and distilling equipment stood at the center of the room. Sweet-smelling flowering vines covered most of the walls, though one wall was a floor-to-ceiling aquarium where giant sea kelp swayed rhythmically in an unseen current. 
Far off in a dark corner was a stand of massive tree trunks as wide as a car. Eric was compelled toward them like a magnet. These, these are redwoods, he stammered. Looking up, he could see the sun filtering through their leafy branches. The windowed ceiling of the room was barely visible at its great height. Dr. Jimenez, we believe your theories will not only help with Newberg's little forest issue, but they could have untold benefits for agriculture, sustainable forestry, and simply understanding global ecologies at a fundamental level. The lab was prepared especially for your needs and preferences. We hope we got our research right. Yeah, was all Eric could manage. It was a far cry from his office closet at Lambeth University. The ride back to Midtown on the Skytrain was a quiet one as Eric digested the events of the day. Newberg was unbelievable. He had been promised a fair wage for work that was profoundly fulfilling. His odd experiments and theories about plant intelligence might actually help people. He could play a part in saving the world. Worlds, yes, more than one but he'd have to bump up against ridiculous egos like Dr. Weber. It would be like working with the Dean all over again. Returning to Mercury Street, the watchers made one final stop in front of a sprawling red brick building. This is Newburgh Public School, where your daughters will attend, if you accept, of course. Here, they can choose from a number of electives, from beginning guitar lessons to quantum mechanics. Eric looked out at the children laughing and running on the playground. Liza and Gabby would both love guitar lessons, but was it worth uprooting them to another reality? His girls had been through so much already. Could they handle more change? A carriage stopped nearby, and a woman in blue stiletto heels and a matching dress stepped out. She strode earnestly toward Eric, who took a moment to make sure his shirt was tucked in professionally. Dr. Jimenez, I'm Ms. Bliss. She gripped Eric's hand in an unyielding handshake. Yes, the parliamentarian. How did I know that? Eric asked, dismayed. Our pamphlets are quite thorough, Ms. Bliss said. I'm pleased to have caught you. Your research proves you to be the man to help our town and the forest. I hope I can report that you've accepted... Ms. Bliss waited expectantly for a confirmation, her pursed lips an asterisk of red lipstick. Eric rubbed his goatee in thought and looked back at the schoolyard. He wasn't sure which choice to make. If only his wife were here. Lucy, what do I do, he thought. A man, a woman, and a little girl no more than six exited the school doors and walked down the steps together. Suddenly, the girl stopped and inspected something in the sidewalk. Daddy, a flower! Look! she cried, stooping low to smell the tiny white daisy. The man and woman both stopped and bent to smell the flower. Satisfied, the little girl skipped ahead along the sidewalk. Thank you, Lucy. Eric smiled to himself. Clearing his throat, he said, I accept the opportunity, Miss Bliss, on one condition. And that is? Ms. Bliss asked. Eric turned to the watchers and said, When my girls go through the portal, they better not come in through the dentist's office. It's a deal, Jeff said, smiling. Jim gave him a thumbs up. Welcome to Newburgh, Dr. Jimenez, said Ms. Bliss.
That concludes Episode 8, Part 2 of A Route Between Worlds. If you're enjoying these stories, open up a portal to iTunes or other podcast provider of your choice and leave a review. It'll help other people find the show. Don't forget to subscribe, too. The Future History of Newburgh was written, narrated, and produced by R. Don Hutchinson. To find out more, please visit me at rdonhutchinson.com. That's r-d-a-w-n-hutchinson.com. I hope you'll join me for the next episode in a few weeks. Thank you so much for listening and helping the story unfold. Rippling light from the portal. Portally. Portally. Hang on. Is this doing better? I think so. Poorly illuminated, large, indefinable. Yeah.